Hey, I'm Ed Stoll. Welcome back to That's Helpful. Can I ask you something? Have you ever been on a diet? Ever had your day ruined by the number on the scales? Ever felt guilty for eating something? Ever counted calories or macros? For most of us, the answer to all of these questions is yes. Most of us will try 162 diets in our lifetime. That's an average of two a year. The good news is that it's possible to live another way. Evelyn Triboli is one of the creators of Intuitive Eating, and she's my guest this week. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. If you know me, I've probably already told you about intuitive eating and Evelyn's work. It absolutely changed my life. Intuitive eating means tapping into your body's natural ability to tell you what, when, and how much to eat. It sounds simple, but it's a skill most of us have been robbed of thanks to diet culture. If you want to break the diet cycle, enjoy food, and get rid of your negative thoughts while improving your body image, then this conversation is for you. Over the next 40 minutes, Evelyn's going to talk to you about what intuitive eating is and walk you through some of the concepts it involves. Think of this as an introduction to the book that she's written with her co-creator, Elise Resch, that I'll put a link in the show notes to. Anyway, let's get into it. I began by asking Evelyn to describe in her own words what intuitive eating is. Well, there's many ways to describe it. You know, one way I describe it, it's a compassionate self-care eating framework rooted in the dignity and respect for all bodies. So that's that's one way of looking at it. You know, when I'm talking to scientists, I might say, you know, it is... Um, we have over 175 studies on our work. It's really about uh, cultivating interceptive awareness so we get our needs met both biologically and psychologically. And for anyone else just listening, like, what the hell are you talking about, Evelyn? It's like, you know what? It's about being e- about being at ease with your eating and at, at ease with your your body. And we have 10 principles to help you embark on that. And I think for so many people, that's something that they're so uncomfortable of, like regardless of gender, background, whatever. So many of us have been completely affected by diet culture, family, uh, childhood, that when we get to adulthood or like even through the teenage years, our perception of what we should be eating and how we should be deciding what to eat is so skewed um, that we just lose all track. Can you talk me through some of the things that that drag us away from intuitive eating? Because you say we're, we're all born intuitive eaters, right? Yeah, yeah, for the most part we are. And so, you know, I, I call these, you know, the the, the disruptors, the disrupt, disruptor to trusting yourself and your body. And one of the biggest mm. is going on any kind of diet, you know, and when, and especially if as a young child, your parents put you on a diet with all the good intentions, that's a powerful message. You can't be trusted with your appetite. We can't trust your body. And I can't tell you the amount of people I've worked with that come in crying and saying, you know, I can tell you the macros a single P, but I can't tell you how to fucking eat. I don't know how to eat, you know, and tears. I I said, I I can't believe I'm paying someone to listen to all my worries about my, my eating, but our culture has just gotten so 
so toxic with this, you know? And so with the first principle of intuitive eating is reject the diet mentality, which is even, even more important than it was, you know, 25 years ago when we wrote the book, because it's, it's everywhere. Like you said, it's in our institutions, it's in, it's in the system and we need to really, really let go of it. The internal, you know, the diet mentality itself, which is internal and the external is, is, is the diet culture. And basically nobody can be the boss of you and your body. Only you are the expert of your body. Only you know, what, what feels good, what satisfies, what tastes good and, and, you know, satisfies that, that hunger and so forth. So it, it mm. sounds so basic, but when you've had these kinds of disruptors and you're not so sure, and you're so conditioned now to eat based on external things, external things being like rules, or even though you're not on some kind of official diet, you're still collecting it like, you know, worn out luggage with all the dents. Where'd I get that? I don't know, but it's still with me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so we start just... taking a look at those kinds of things. It's like, who said, who said this, you know, and, and, and we start uh, dismantling it basically. And these ridiculous food rules that we build ourselves. And obviously, you know, diets don't work. They're absolutely they really crap. don't. And, you know, I wish, I wish people really knew that. I wish doctors mm. knew that. I was just talking mm. to uh, my leadership coach saying, you know, we've got to find a way to get to the policymakers and, and the doctors because they really don't know the research that shows it doesn't work and causes harm. And if this was a medication, there's no way a doctor would be, you know, prescribing it with its huge failure rate. And now with the research coming out on weight cycling, that that seems to be doing more mm -hmm. harm where you, wait, you lose weight and put it back on, lose weight, put it back on. And then all the, the issues around weight stigma perpetuates that as well. It's so problematic, you know. So if you'd have spoken to me 10 years ago and you said, diets don't work, they're really damaging, they're absolute crap, I would have thought, no, I you know, have this mentality where if I'm not on a diet, if I'm not pursuing weight loss, that I'm not trying to be my best self. Mm. I'm not, you know, like I'm not, if I'm on a diet, then I'm constantly trying to better myself and then I have this perception that I'm working really hard at myself, which is just utter crap. But can you tell me what, what you would have said to me 10 years ago to dispel any notions that a diet is a good thing? Like, what does yeah. the science say? You know, I'd say a lot of things, but the first thing I just would want to acknowledge, it's understandable mm. that you would be engaged in that. And part of it's kind of mm. a virtual thing. You know, I'd, I'd be questioning, you know, I wonder how much of that activity is to show the world, look, I'm really a good person. Look at how hard I'm yeah. doing. Look at what I'm doing, almost like with a sense of, of pride. So there's some of that. But um, when you look at the research, there's now a body of research that shows that dieting really doesn't work. And it's actually mm. predictive of, of even more weight gain. You know, and so the, the thing I hear from from patients, I'll never forget I had a woman in her 50s and she was saying, you know, I wish to God someone would have told me this when I when I started my first diet when I was a teenager. And mm. I probably wouldn't have listened to you to blown you off, but it would have planted the seed. And so that's why I'm, I'm really yeah. big into seed planting. So we would have had a conversation. I would talk about, you know, some of the things that we see as a consequence of dieting, like loss of control, eating, over focusing on on food, what you can and can't eat, having a 
lot of anxiety around this, uh, turning down or rescheduling social events based on what you can and, and can't eat. And so I might address it in that way where I might get your attention that, yeah, that doesn't feel so good. And there's another mm. way that we can be existing in the world, you know? And then if you didn't want to hear anything I had to say, I'd say, you know, I'm always here if you want to have this discussion or I could talk about, you know, send you a book or something like that when you're ready to, to hear more about it, you know, especially when you're planting that first seed that might be kind of mm. hard to take. And then if your identity is wrapped around this, and this is what I see in social media, that people have these accounts where that is their identity, you know? And so then when, once they start seeing the, the harm and the peril of their ways, letting go can be kind of difficult because of that identity. I can't tell you the amount of people I've talked to that have realized, uh-oh, I actually had an eating disorder when I was spewing all these things on social media. Or, uh-oh, I had, you know, orthorexia. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't figure this out till three, five years, you know, down the road. And meanwhile, all these people are, are, are watching uh, these videos and, you know, posts and so on. And, and I think that makes it really confusing. It makes it when you see all these before and after pictures, it's like, well, they did it. So how come I, I can't, mm. you know, and we don't know, we don't know. Does this person have an eating disorder? Is this person just, just, that's just genetically their body, but now they're giving all the credit to some kind of routine and PS they're selling some kind of plan, you know, that, you know, that they, they, they profit off of. So it's, it's really complex. And then when you take a look at all the companies in, in the weight loss industry, making money off of this and gaslighting, you know, they, they tell you, oh, it didn't work because you're not doing it right. You're not working mm -hmm. hard enough, you know? And now when you've got companies saying, oh, but we're not really a diet. And P.S., we're having you count stuff. We're having you count points or calories or having you, you know, categorize foods, you know, as, as red and green and all these kinds of things. It's still a diet. It's just, it, 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 it's really... Um, well, I'm just going to say it, it's a mind fuck, <laughs> you know, yeah. because you think you're trying all the things and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? And, and what I say, there is nothing wrong with you. And when you experience these bouts of loss of control eating, that is your body saying, I'm going to protect you. We need air to breathe and live just like we need food to, to, to live. And so this is what ends up happening. You know, it, it's not uh, an addiction. It's not that there's something wrong with you. It's a compensatory response to uh, uh, an effect of, of starvation on a biological level, your little cells do not know that you were doing this intentionally, you know, and I haven't mm. met anyone who's really happy when they're really swept up in all of this. They're so preoccupied. They're talking about it all the time. And it's really not a fun conversation to be in, you know, just, just among your friends and, and, and socially. And that's the sad part is when the person is steeped in it, they don't realize and they're not seeing mm. the, the body language from other people like, I don't want to hear about your diet. <laughs> You know, yeah, and, and no shade 100%. to these people who are, who are caught up into it, but it's just part of the the unawareness that happens in it. But I'll tell you where. I do get a lot of uh, attraction, attraction rather, is, you know, when I'm working with somebody who has either young children or they plan to have a family and I'll say mm. something like, you know, what would it be like to end the legacy of diet culture at your own kitchen table? Because the idea of dismantling it. Is, is massive and it can seem daunting, but the idea that at your kitchen table, you get to set, you know, what your values and guidelines are, that's actually really profound and it can be protective. And yes, your kids will go out into the world and be met with diet culture, but the, the foundation at home will be strong. You know, it's like a big gigantic, you know, redwood tree with deep, deep roots. So no matter how the storm is, the storm of diet culture in this case, it can blow and your leaves will shake, but you're deeply rooted, you know, and you'll, and you'll get through it. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's one that's way of looking at it. You don't want your kids to suffer like you've suffered, you know? 
A hundred percent. I can totally understand that. And so your book is phenomenal and it basically completely dismantles diet culture. Can you tell me what are some of the negative effects of dieting? Well, one of the, the biggest is, you know, it increases your risk for eating disorders. And what's really striking is in the last, since the year 2000, the, the, the rate of the eating disorders has actually doubled. And that's, that's life-threatening. So eating disorders, you know, is, is up. Weight stigma in, in of itself uh, it increases the risk of that. And just experiencing weight stigma actually increases something called allostatic load. And that's just a big fancy word to say it stresses your body out. It stresses out your symptoms. And allostatic load is related to a lot of different types of disease and, and conditions and, and so on. And it takes away the joy out of your life. Mm. You know, you're, you're living to follow some some rules as opposed to engaging and in enjoying the life that, that's happening with you here and now. And so one of the strongest aspects of the intuitive eating is what it does from the from the psychology. There was a big study kit that came out last year on the, it was a meta-analysis. They looked at over 90 studies on the psychological correlates of intuitive eating. And it just, mm. it's just so wonderful. And they're, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> it's like, who wouldn't want some of this, you know, in terms of, you know, a better quality of life, better self-esteem, uh, less anxiety, all these kinds of things that end up actually escalating when you are dieting. When you are dieting, you're really not not living, you know. That's that's what I see over and over again. And but the thing is, is that when you're steeped in it, you don't really see it until it starts, you know, really. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. And one of those things that I found when I was trapped in diet culture, and I was, you know, it just pervaded everything that I thought about. You know, that you were talking about obsessing about food. You know, I used to dream about eating. Uh. Um, and obsess over food like I could never stop thinking about what I would eat next I remember having a conversation with my boyfriend at the time saying do you can you stop thinking about food do you stop thinking about food Mm. and he was being like yeah I never think about it at the time I was like I didn't really understand why I was so obsessed with food, but it was definitely such a fierce backlash from dieting. Well, and that's a really good example of how this interferes with relationships and quality of life. You know, you might mm. not be rescheduling uh, social events, but if you're, mm. you know, out with your uh, partner or friends and you're ordering off the menu and your mind is calculating macros or wondering what you got to mm. do to compensate, you're, you have left the conversation. And, and that, and people can feel that. It's like, if you've ever been on the phone with somebody on a cell phone and yeah. you can tell they're, they're, they're in the conversation, they're answering right, but you can tell they are scrolling or, or texting or something because they're not mm-hmm. there. We pick yeah. up on that. And yet we don't know how to name it when they're actually sitting right in front of you and there's no cell phone there, but their mind is on the cell phone diet basically, you know, and 100%. that's where the, where the harm happens. Yeah. Oh, and I would, I would cancel, like I would say, no, we can't go out to eat because I'm dieting. We can't go out to eat. We can't, I don't want to go out to eat, which is so crazy to me. And I thought that was a really normal thing. Wow. And, and yet it's one of the joys of eating. And it's one of the ways that we connect. And, you know, one of the things I would say mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're bringing this up, you know, if you're spending a 
majority of your time thinking and worrying about eating, you know, that, that's a sign that there's a, there's a problem there somewhere, you know, and of course, you know, when, even without any kind of dieting going on or without any, any, any eating disorder, yeah, we're going to, we're going to think about, you know, what sounds good for a meal. We might plan, uh, you know, I need to go grocery shopping or I'm going to plan to go out a few times this week or whatever it happens to be. That's, that's normal. But then when, when you're done, you're not perseverating and, and, and second guessing, you know, what it is that you did. And so part of intuitive eating is really shifting to the pleasure of eating. And, mm. you know, with the 10 principles, you don't have to go in order. When you write a book, you need to go in order. But one of the areas I like to start with when people are intrigued, but they're not sure about it is I, I will start with, well, let's start with what would it feel like to have a meal in which you felt completely satisfied? You know, mm. what, what, what components would be there? What kind of foods would you like to be? What would be in the environment? Would you want to be, you know, having an argument with your best friend? Would that be part of a satisfying meal? No, mm. <laughs> but looking at all the things that go into it, you know, and, and the truth is it's not satisfying to undereat, and it's not satisfying to eat in a way in which you feel uncomfortably full. And so if someone starts to embark just on that principle, it's a, it's a way to start to get into balance and it's incredibly personal because I've had patients say, I don't even know what foods I like anymore because they've all been on the, the do not eat list. You know, it's like I'm, I'm shell shocked. I don't know if I should be quote eating something or not. And so starting it from that very personal question, what would feel satisfying? And if you want to add a part to it, and how do I want to feel when I finish? And that's a really cool question to look at as, as well, you know, because mm -hmm. this is where, where things get balanced out. But when someone doesn't have this kind of relationship where they don't know what foods they really like, and they're so used to faking out hunger and fullness, they don't know what might feel satisfying. You know, uh, it can be a, a, an area of great discovery going down this this part, you know, seeking satisfaction. And often so many of these foods that we've obsessed over when we've been in the grips of diet culture, that when we start to eat intuitively and we try them, we realize we don't even like them. Isn't that something? I tell you, <laughs> I would love to see a study on this because I hear this so often from my yeah. patients and from the people that I train. And I have some theories as to why that might be, you know, that first of all, you know, having guilt along with your eating really changes the 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 setting as and how the food Taste, but sometimes there's so much excitement about eating and then there's this hurry up and eat it before the guilt comes in that you're never really tasting and experiencing the food. And when you finally sit down with complete permission, it's like, what, what? Where's the taste in this? It's like I've been having yep. all this angst and it sometimes delights people. And sometimes it makes them really mad, you know, and it's like, well, that's one of the benefits when we can actually be present and connected to what it is that we're eating and let go of these rules of demonizing food you know it's mm. it's, fant it's fantastic and one of the things that um I thought really was very interesting to me reading the book and I'm really pleased to say that I am not in the grips of diet culture anymore but yes. when you give that up yes I <laughs> when you give that up you yes you give away all the crap parts of dieting where you feel bad and you're permanently guilty and you're permanently thinking about food but you also have to accept that you have to give up the highs you know when oh. you actually you know when you when you step on the scales and you see it go down and you know anybody who's been in diet culture will know that in that moment that actually feels really good mm. so you know being willing to understand that perhaps maybe, you know, 
you're not mad. There are elements of diet culture that are very appealing to our box ticking It's seductive. Brains. It's very seductive. Yeah, right? the, the part, however, it's it's not sustainable. But you're right. We have to mm-hmm. own that. Why is it that people keep coming back? And one of my ways of looking at this is that the first time someone goes on a diet, the body is new to all of this. And there there mm. aren't all these effects. And it feels so easy. Not always, but often. And so, and but then it's not sustainable. And their body goes back to where they were. And then it's like, well, why can't I do that again? It's like a first love. It was so easy and effortless. And then it gets harder and harder. And then the person starts, you know, blaming themselves. And one of the things we didn't talk about too is the the impact on mood. You know, there's this edginess mm. when you're not getting enough to eat. You know, I love that term hangry oh, yeah. because you're chronically <laughs> hangry. You know, I've had patients who are lovely parents, but find themselves yelling at their kids when they wouldn't ordinarily because they're hangry, you know, from these different types of dieting and regimes that they're on. And I think what's tricky now and, and, and today is that so many diets are not calling themselves diets anymore. It's under the guise of mm. wellness culture now, you know, as well, we're not really focused on that. <laughs> it's just a side effect, you know, uh, all the, all these kinds of things. And that, 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 that's tricky, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's tricky. One of the um, best studies that I really appreciate in your book was the Minnesota starvation (sighs) study. Can you talk me through that? Because I think this is one of the best examples of why diet culture is such crap. Yeah. In fact, that study is huge. It's these two big Mm. volumes. So it it took place during World War II and they took Mm -hmm. uh, conscientious objectors who were not fighting in the war. And to even get Mm -hmm. into the study, they had to pass a psychological exam and a physical exam. And they were found to be like super biological, psychologically healthy. So we want to be really clear about that. Then they put them on a semi-starvation diet for a few months and the results were just profound. These men could not stop talking about food. In fact, if you read some of the original research one of the men <laughs> it cracks me. i had to read it twice i couldn't believe what i was reading one of the men said they can't stand the nutrition masturbation <laughs> these men constantly talking talking about their 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 eating i'm thinking god it sounds like modern day culture to me you know so they yeah. were talking about food all the time collecting recipes and cookbooks and this is in the 40s when we didn't have tv food chefs and celebrity chefs running around and all these kinds of things and collecting you know gadgets for food but what also happened is some of the men couldn't stand the rules of this uh, diet regimen and so one man went out and stole candy binged on it made himself throw up another man went out and binged on milkshakes made himself throw up and so we have now this study that showed that this kind of food restriction can actually resent result rather in eating disorder eating disorder behavior and the thing that's also is shocking you know when you hear the word semi starvation that's in the name of the study it was a semi starvation study you know you think that they're they're eating probably nothing they're just eating vapors or something you know mm, and these yeah, guys yeah, were yeah. Eating on average between 16 to 1700 calories. So it certainly wasn't enough for what they needed, but it's like what happens on a modern day diet, you know, and I've, I've shared this study with a lot of patients. And when I, when I share with the, with the symptoms, they were go, Oh my gosh, that's what I go through. Maybe this Mm -hmm. is normal. It's a normal response to a, a situation that's not normal for the body. It's a compensatory response. And so if we think about it, this study, gosh, in the 40s, this is 80 years ago, we already had a clue about mm. this. And we've had at least 60 years worth of research showing that dieting and intentional weight loss does not work. 
you know, in the long run. Sure, there's a temporary thing, and that's 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 the seduction, and there's a big price that you pay, you know, with that. And if we don't want to diet, then the people who invent these diets and develop these stupid ways of eating don't make any bloody money. So that's well, that's true too. It, that's it? that's the capitalist uh, aspect of that as well. Mm. Yeah. For sure on that. But I, I often think, you know, when I started to get out of diet culture, it frees up your brain to think about things that are so much worthwhile. Isn't that amazing how much brain space you have and time for that matter? Oh. You know, especially mm-hmm. if you've been in, in plans where you're doing all this this meal prep. And by the way, I have nothing against meal prep. I always look at what is the intention behind the behavior. And if the intention is, oh, you're trying to save time and trying to save money, that's totally fine. But mm-hmm. if you're doing it because you're trying to shrink your body, then that becomes problematic. But yeah, the amount of time and brain space, it's mm. almost... I had, a, I had a patient say, it feels like I'm, I'm, I've been being born again. You know, it's like I can participate in life in, in full color. You know, it's, it's just awesome. You get your, really get your life back, you know? Yeah. So if people want to start with intuitive eating, they've truly got to the end of their diet journey, they're sick of it, and they want to kick diet culture to the curb. You gave us that great tip about, you know, just starting to think about what a satisfying meal would be for for you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we can start to do to start to nurture intuitive eating and introduce yeah. it into our lives? There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, one of the things I have people do and, and, and they think, oh, that's not a big deal until they start doing it. And that is, you know, looking at your social media feed and start to curate that. What would it be like? Just start just mm-hmm. the first time, just analyze it. How many people are you following are really, you know, perpetuating diet culture behaviors and thinking and so on and what would it be like to let go of following those accounts and that sounds easy but you know sometimes you feel connected to an influencer you're following what's going on in their life and that might be that might feel hard to do but I have people start looking at that and then conversely starting adding accounts that are you know like health at every size and, you know, anti-diet and all these other kinds of things. So you're not constantly being surrounded by this message of, of dieting and that bodies need to be certain sizes and shapes in order to be, to be worthy. That's something that you can certainly do as a, as a beginning. And, and, you know, if you're looking for more and more details, of course, there's the book, but I also did um, an Instagram series of 10 days video and then prompts on 10 days of intuitive eating. And I think it's in my highlights and my Instagram thing if you wanted to to check that out to get more specifics and prompts because sometimes what also happens is people get really intrigued by the idea but they're scared you know or they don't Mm. feel ready and I think that's totally fine that we can honor that and we start exploring it a different way what would you need in order to be ready what would it be like to let go of dieting if you weren't uh, Mm. dieting how would you be spending that time you know and and those kinds of things in order to look Mm. at these kinds of readiness yeah yeah, absolutely. And so once people, you know, have thrown out that diet mentality, um, you then talk about people being able to honor their hunger. Yeah. How can we, like, what's a really simple way of telling, because it, this sounds like a ridiculous question, but it's often really hard when you've been so trapped in diet culture to even figure out whether you're hungry and whether you need to eat. So how can people go yeah. back to basics and even figure out whether they're hungry or if they're just, or if they want to eat because of a certain emotion or like, how can you get more in tune with your hunger? Yeah, I think at first we need to recognize it's really understandable they're confused by it because diet culture mm. has pathologized this hunger is, 
something wrong or hunger is really means you're doing something right when like no hunger is mm. is a cue that our, that our body needs nourishment it's it's kind of a gift that you know that you're alive and that you can feel this and sometimes there's this fear of doing it the wrong way and so what i say is you know the body isn't this pass or fail <laughs> entity you know if you're hungry and you don't get enough to eat not a big deal, usually, because it just means you're going to get hungry sooner. Rather than getting hungry maybe four or five hours later, you're going to get hungry two hours later. So you get to, get to learn about yourself. So one of the ways I find in terms of really getting to the answer of your question, how do yeah. I access hunger when I've been so confused about it? I find sometimes people um, can, can access the more intense parts of hunger. So let's say they don't really know what hunger feels like in their body. Yeah. Then I'll say, well, how bad have you ever had really extreme hunger or I'll just say unpleasant hunger? Have you ever been hangry? And they'll say, yeah, and I'll ask them to describe what that feels like. You know, what the mood is like, what's happening. Can they recall what their body feels like? Is their stomach, does it feel empty? Is it, is it gurgly? Is it stretching? Is it, is it painful? What's their, how's their ability to focus and looking at all these things. Do you have a headache? Do you feel like you're passing out? Those are more extreme, you know, signs of, of hunger, but that gives us a cue. And then I might say, well, what's the pattern of this? So now we've, we've figured out what the edge of your hunger is. How often do you engage, how often do you get that kind of hungry? Is there a window to it, you know? And it might be, yeah, when I cross five hours, that's when I, when all hell breaks loose. And then that might be a clue. <laughs> well, maybe we should check in what it's like four hours from when you last ate. So those, there's ways that we can reverse engineer it, you know, and it's okay that it's really fuzzy. And I think that's what frustrates people. Some people just want to just tell me what to eat. And like, that's the problem. Mm. <laughs> we need your yep. body to inform us. You know, I can give you a lot of guidelines and a lot of prompts, but ultimately I want you to decide, you know, what, what feels best in, in your body, you know? And so what this might mean. So another ways of looking at this might be, well, maybe I'm going to commit to checking in because it takes awareness. You know, if you're busy doing a million gazillion things and you're not checking in and you got your adrenaline flying high. And then sometimes mm. the first time that you sit down, it's like, Ooh, damn out of nowhere, but hijacked <laughs> my hunger. And that's because yeah. it's the first time you've really sat down and kind of connected. And so uh, it might just be having awareness check-ins, you know, would you be willing to check in maybe, you know, three times a day? And, mm. and, and I even say, I'm not even asking you to commit to eating. Can you just check in and see what that feels like, you know? And then if you decide yeah. to eat, what, what might sound good, what might feel good? And we have to be practical, you know, in terms of whatever the, yeah. the situation that somebody's in, whether they're rushing off to work or have a, a, a strained schedule, is finding ways that they can eat and nourish their body and, and so on, you know? Yeah. So it, it takes a little bit of practice of just checking in, but it's something that's really, really doable. And yeah, and it gets complicated. You know, people are on, you know, medication and these kinds of things but there's ways to to work with this you know and the other thing that was really um profound to me and kind of uh really influences the way I eat now is that there are no rules around no eating rules. if you're listening to your body and so you know if you like it's so now if I get like a really nice dessert or pastry or something that I completely would have absolutely binged on and would have been so banned in my mm. former dieting days now I look at it and I eat and I'm satisfied and then I think do you know what I'm gonna enjoy the other half of that so much more later on when I'm hungry again and that was one of the big things I took away from the book mm. is that 
you know, when you're actually listening to your body, you enjoy your food so much more yeah. and you value that experience much more so that you're not willing to just fritter it and eat as quickly as you can and hope that nobody figures out that you've eaten that. You know, you, you yeah. take it and you think, do you know what? I can enjoy the rest of that later. Yeah, the joy that's there. And you know, and the way that you described that one example, I have a lot of patients that get very surprised by that. It's like it wasn't mm. white knuckler. I I didn't want to eat <laughs> yeah. the rest of that. And what's what's going on? And it's like when you remove the the rules, the forbiddenness, you remove the intensity. When suddenly you, you get to eat whatever you want when you want, mm. as it's connected to your body, you get to ask, Well, do I really want it now? If I eat it now, am I going to enjoy it? you know, mm. but when you have all these rules and conditions, then it's like, oh, let's hurry and get it. Let's get it right now, you know, because I can't, it's, can. it's an opportunity. Yeah. 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 So, and this can also work in other ways. I'll tell you an interesting story. I, I, I you know, when I was going through chemotherapy, working mm. on the satisfaction principle, because I, I still used it in intuitive eating yeah. and I, one of the things I, I it's, it's the truth, but it's, it's, it, it happened. I had two regrets, two regrets in life, you know, missing uh, mammograms and eating a ginormous burrito on my first day of chemotherapy, you know, <laughs> and I'll spare you the details. I can tell you when I had fit, I know, oh, right. <laughs> but, but, but I was, I was doing that based on when I get really hungry, a burrito is like, Ooh, that just satisfies. I didn't yeah. consider how my body would be feeling, you know, later on in that day. And so that second part, and how do I want to feel? It's something I've always taught, but it had even more meaning in those things. And that is our bodies change, our seasons change, conditions change. And so in a way, I think it's kind of funny. So here I'm, you know, one of the, the creators of intuitive eating and I learned something, you know, and it's mm. just, it's just it's, it doesn't make me a failure. Uh, it, it, I had a bit some regret, I will tell you. But other than that, I didn't do that again. <laughs> I didn't you get down things. on myself. I didn't go, oh my God, you nasty dietitian. Who do you think you are? I was just like, oh wow, this was humbling. Yeah. This was humbling. And, you know? and that's a big and part on. of intuitive eating, isn't it? Is that, yeah. you know, you're not bad. It's not good. Nothing's um, black and white. And But everything yeah. is a learning opportunity. It really is. And we take the morality out of eating because, you know, unless mm. you, you know, you killed someone to get the food, you know, we really shouldn't be, <laughs> right? That's what I started doing. I felt like patients, it when you had you that kill? burrito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you remove the morality, it, it makes eating a little more straightforward. Or what that often yeah. does, I'll tell you, we can, we can use it in a way. And that is, you know, if someone's experiencing guilt, we can say, well, huh. Uh, we know he didn't kill anyone to get that, you know, that food. So what rule or what belief are we bumping up against here? Let's take a look at that, you know, and is this really yeah. serving you? And where did this come from? It's so interesting. It's like, oh, my God, that's my mom's voice. <laughs> you know, yeah. my, my chronic dieting mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, All 100%. And I know that, you know, now we recognize that gender is so much more um, diverse than just men and women. Oh, for um, sure. But, you know, a lot of women that I've spoken to, and this is, you know, my experience as a, a privileged white woman in a what society deems to be a normal sized body. But my um, lots of my friends, when I talked to them about this, and I remember when we, I, we were all in the grips of diet culture, looking at our husbands, partners, boyfriends and thinking, how do you eat normally? 
and you're not concerned with it. Like, I just remember being absolutely mm. baffled by that. Like, me and my husband, we've been together so long and he's been with me throughout all of this. But I just remember looking at him and thinking, like, I don't understand how you're doing that and how you're not concerned with it. It's crazy when you think. Well, you and, and one way, another way of looking at it is like, well, what, what is, what in the case of your husband, what has his history been with dieting? And if he hasn't dieted very Nothing. much, it would make sense. He's yeah. not consumed. So it becomes right? self-fulfilling and it's just because of the, his own history, you know, and from a gender yeah, standpoint, there's been a lot more pressure on, on women you know, in terms mm -hmm. of what, what bodies should look like. That's starting to change now, but we still have a long, long way to go in terms of yeah. body diversity and so on. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that leads us on to one of the other principles too, and that's to respect your body, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, Elise and I really spent a lot of time with the language around that because yeah. I remember back in the day, if we even ventured the idea about loving your body, oh, the pushback is like, are you kidding me, Evelyn? I am at war with my body. I hate my mm. body. And the idea of love, I can't even, can't even. And so we thought we need something a little more accessible, you know? And so we came up with the idea of respect. Can you engage in acts of respect for your body? Even, I'm not asking you to be fake if you don't like your body. I'm not asking you to change how you feel about it, but in terms of how you treat your body, you know, when, when you treat your body meanly, it's hard to expect consistency from your body, you know? Mm. And so treating it with, with acts of kindness. And one of those is, you know, feeding it, you know, would you be, if you have kids, would you let your kids be starving? If you, how about your animals? Mm. If you had pets, you know, all of these, these kinds of things. And so respect, you know, is, is, is a really big, big topic because this is respecting bodies of all size all size yeah you know mm. and that there's no one look for intuitive eating because I get really uh as I need to use a stronger word than annoyed but when people post before and after pictures with intuitive eating it's like it's a huge disservice it's colluding with diet culture it's making it suggest that this is what a body should be if they're a quote an intuitive eater and bodies can be all different sizes, all different genders on the flu, on the spec, all kinds of, you know, different types of, of ways, you know? And so we need to Do you know one of the things that. I always think about with this what? Um, is that everybody loves dogs, right? We absolutely yeah. all adore dogs. We accept that they are all so different and, you know, so there's short legs, long legs, tiny legs, you know, wide bellies, little bellies, but we all think they're all ridiculously lovely. But Isn't we can't that take truth? that same approach to humans. Exactly. I've used that metaphor a lot. I'll even just say with puppies. So therefore I'm not t uh, yeah. stepping on someone who has a fear of dogs. I haven't met anyone who has a fear of puppies. <laughs> and so, um, But I say the same thing, you know, a, a, a mastiff or a bulldog yeah. versus like a little, you know, a greyhound Italian whippet or something, you know, but you're absolutely and right. And we don't, we wouldn't, we would never say like, oh God, that uh, Mastiff needs to go on a diet so it looks more like a Whippet. It's like, what? That just doesn't, yeah. it's exactly Isn't the same, it? right? It's exactly, and that, that that's where we need to go from a cultural standpoint, absolutely. And also from a healthcare and public policy standpoint, that all needs to get changed. Yeah, absolutely. I love that analogy. And we can use the intuitive eating principles to flow over into exercise too and the way we approach exercise, absolutely. can't we? Absolutely. In terms of how your body is, is feeling. And what I come across a lot is people who have been compulsive with their exercise because they're stuck in diet culture and have a fear that if they stop, they're never going to start again. And I'll say it makes mm -hmm. sense. 
because you're not, you know, getting enough to eat, you're probably exhausted, you know, mm. or I've seen patterns where people, when they start a diet, they start the exercise program. And when they stop the diet, they stop the exercise and they feel a lot of shame. It's like, it makes sense mm. to me when you're not, you know, eating enough, of course, you're going to stop that. And so sometimes part of the exercise or that we call it movement now uh, is, you know, might this be a day that you just need to take a day off? you know, or a day, yeah. a couple of days off, a week off, you know, and, and, and looking then at the pursuit of extra movement from a pleasant standpoint, a joyful yeah. standpoint, as opposed to trying to lose weight, you know? Yeah. And how it makes you feel. Um, how I follow it makes some brilliant feel, people. For sure. Yeah. I follow some brilliant people on Instagram and they say that, um, uh, exercising just to burn calories is like taking a ride in your car just to burn petrol. <laughs> I haven't heard right that. like going on going on a great journey just to burn the petrol yeah and you, d- you yeah. miss and the then view was... you don't take him where you're going you don't take him you don't know nice what you're, like. you're having yeah, yeah that's right? a great and I love that yeah isn't that good yeah um, and I think that that is such an important thing and I think the the other thing that you know going on from what you were saying often you know for me i know this was true is that until recently i had never exercised while i was fueling my body properly and now oh. it's like man this is fun i can do this it feels great and when difference. i wasn't fueling my body properly when i was starving myself it was like god this is exhausting i just you know nothing operates properly so when you actually finally start to eat and you go and exercise it's a completely different experience which i think completely. is a lot what a lot of other people will have found too yeah and then there's other other uh, groups i also see where they really don't want to move because they have mm. been teased all their yeah. life and they don't have yeah that joyful experience. And so what I say is you got, yeah. you got to give yourself the amount of space and time that you need. I'm not going to push you on this, you know, 100%. And maybe we look at some, some things that, um, that you tolerate, but ultimately feel better in terms of, you might notice a difference in terms of your mood or your energy yeah. or your stress level. And, you know, I think one of the things we need to also say, you know, is that we don't, we don't owe, nobody owes uh, health in order to, to, uh, get respect and dignity as a human yeah. being. You know what I mean? We, we can't make that a, a, a morality kind of thing. So no, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. I just, um, I, all these things are coming back to me when I'm talking to you about diet culture, but the other thing that's brilliant that you let go of is allowing the scales to dictate whether you have a good or bad oh. day. Yeah. 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 For sure. Which is just, it's just crap, isn't it? Like if you, well, and it keeps it front of lost mind. weight, you have a great day if you haven't. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, and you um, know what? It's, it's, it's the, dysregulating. Yeah, completely. Trusting an outside object to tell you how to feel about your body is insane. Yeah. Um, and so one of the misconceptions about intuitive eating is that it's just a free-for-all, constantly eat what you, what you want, um, you know, completely let go of any disregard um, about, you know, what you're eating, the quality of the food you're eating, just go for it, which is completely not true because gentle nutrition is a really important part of intuitive eating, isn't it? 
Yeah, but you know, I think the reason that we see, there's this perception about the free for all is when you look mm. at social media, especially Instagram, yeah. you see all the people posting about the pink donuts and pink cupcakes. <laughs> and oh, look at me! Oh my God, this is so fun, it's so easy. And so that's the perception. But what I like to say is, you know, there are ten principles of of intuitive eating, and sometimes in the beginning, people will go through this phase of discovering, oh my God, I can eat this, I can eat this, and mm. you know, that's that's fine. It's just kind of a a balancing out, but but ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately, it, it gets you into balance in many different types of ways. So, yeah, it's so great. I want to thank you so much for writing it. It's changed thank my you. life. I'm sure it'll Along change with the so least, many other we, people's lives a, too. It was a collaboration project. I'll tell you that. Yeah. How many people get in touch with you to say the exact same thing? Do you get it all the time? <sighs> You know what? We get it a lot, but I never get tired of hearing it. To know that someone's yeah. life has been impacted, it, it's it. It is such a privilege. You know what I mean? It it makes me feel so good because what ends up happening, like what you're doing right now, is you're spreading the word. I've had people change professions or augment their profession and want to get trained mm. on how to because now we do we do training on, you know, becoming certified intuitive eating counselor in terms of how do you do this to help other people. And so it's like this positive ripple effect that we see. You know, we have a lot of work oh. to do, but it's it's wonderful to see this ripple effect. You're doing great work. So tell me, if people only take one thing away from our conversation, what would you have them take? Oh, my God. That's Mm. a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) You can have three things if you want. Well, I mean, the the things that come to my mind is no one can really be the boss of you. This This is your body. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that the second thing is that dieting really doesn't work. And more importantly, yep. it really causes harm. Those are, those are the, the two biggest things. And that no matter where you are on this journey, even if you're a skeptic listening to this, is that uh, there's, there's room for, for all people whenever you're ready to embark on this life-changing journey. That was Evelyn Triboli, diet culture slayer and co-creator of Intuitive Eating. Her groundbreaking book that she wrote with Elise Resch is incredible. It's also available as an audiobook. I'll pop a link in the show notes. Before you go, can I ask you a favor? If you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review in your podcasting app. It really helps me out. It takes two minutes. I'm Ed Stott. This was That's Helpful. Find us on Instagram at That's Helpful Pod. Thanks so much for joining me this week. I'll catch you again next time. <laughs>